special service in the middle of the week. Now, I'm going to give you a little introduction as to what we're doing, um, and I'll also do a little introduction as to why we're doing it now. Um, this is what's commonly known as Holy Week. Holy Week comprises of Passover, which happens to be uh, this evening, uh, unleavened bread, and first fruits, or what many or most Christians say is Easter or Resurrection Day. Now, most, the vast majority of, of Christians uh, celebrate what's known as Good Friday. Uh, we, in our congregation for a couple of decades now, have come to the conclusion that Jesus was crucified not on a Friday, but several days before that. Um, and so this is why we're celebrating midweek. Why the Good Friday? I think it's because there's a misinterpretation of thinking that after Jesus was crucified, it said that they couldn't tend to the body until uh, after the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is Saturday, and therefore they're thinking, okay, the intervening day. However, there's, it's almost literally impossible to come up with three days or, or two, and on the third day, if you have a crucifixion on Friday. And so why I think there's the misunderstanding is, is that Jesus was crucified at the time that the Passover lambs were being sacrificed uh, to avoid uh, tainting that day as far as the Jewish leaders were concerned. They made sure that he succumbed to the cross and was buried, and then he was in the grave that day, which was, in essence, Passover. The next day after Passover is called unleavened bread, and under uh, the Jewish law, in Leviticus, it says that the first day of unleavened bread is to be a holy convocation, and you're due to do no work. So that's kind of, if you will, a second holy day. Then I believe the next Sabbath was Saturday. And so you then get three days that Jesus was in the tomb uh, as opposed to just Saturday. And so that's why we celebrate what we're going to call this service the darkness service or the crucifixion service, while, again, the vast majority of, of Christians, because of tradition, I guess, uh, or not thinking much about it, decide that they're going to continue celebrating this time at, um, on Friday. Uh, my job isn't to convince everybody that they're wrong, but this is why we're celebrating at this time. As a part of the darkness or crucifixion or Good Friday, you'll have a lot of churches who will do cantatas. Our congregation has certainly done that. They have done plays. Our congregation has certainly done that. They've even shown movies of the crucifixion, and our congregation has certainly done that. And then we have, for a number of years, done what's called the Seven Last Words, and there is a even a cantata called the Seven Last Words, where we just go through the last sentences and words that Jesus spoke on the cross. Now, in the past, we have read the scriptures and then sung some songs and then done 
uh, various things from dropping palm leaves and, and decorating our, uh, our sanctuary from purple representing the uh, time that Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and we changed that all to black. Well, we're not going to be doing that this year. We're simply going to be reading from the scriptures of, of Jesus' last statement. And then uh, I will not be commenting generally on the various passages. However, there are probably two areas that I will provide commentary, but not so much on Jesus' statement, but what flows from that. Uh, to the side, you'll see a menorah uh, lit. Jesus, being the light of the world, came into the world on that Advent time, um, and he was the light of the world, and the world was in darkness. Again, the reason we call it the darkness service is that Jesus' life was extinguished and the light of the world uh, went out. And so as we read each of the seven last words. After I read it, I'll be extinguishing uh, one of the candles. And then our, our sanctuary usually gets darker and darker uh, to symbolize that the light of the world has uh, died. Now, those who had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah had placed their hope in him, and even though he had explained to them that he would give his life, that it would not be taken from him, that he would lay it down and pick it up on his own accord, his disciples never seemed to really catch it, probably because they had, if you will, their own agenda uh, and didn't quite see, and then also at the same time, probably because, uh, according to the scriptures, Jesus would die uh, alone in the sense of uh, there was no one there to uh, prevent it. And so their understanding was darkened. The crucifixion was just only a small part of what happened to our Lord that day. He was arrested at night, went through a number of various trials, all of them, if you will, illegal was sentenced, and then was beaten and scourged and mocked. They placed a, a thorn of crowns on his head and mocked worship of him and beat him, made him carry his own cross from where he was condemned uh, on the what's known as the Via Dolorosa, until he could no longer carry the weight, and then one was impressed into service to finalize it. Then they nailed him to the cross and placed him on it. And then these are the words that were spoken on the cross. I would encourage you uh, at some point during this Holy Week to read Psalm 22. It kind of gives you a view of Jesus' crucifixion from his point of view, from the cross. But I want to start with a reading from Isaiah that predicts this crucifixion 
and again shows that it was not the Jews who took his life, but that he gave it, and that the Father was his good pleasure to see that Jesus suffered for our sake. And so we'll start the, the service um, by the reading of, of Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 11. And again, there won't be any music. Uh, I encourage you to consider it, consider the scriptures, maybe write them down to consider them further on. And so in Isaiah 53, it says this, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of the parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and he was not esteemed. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his garment, I'm sorry, as for his generations, who considered him, that he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering. He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hands as a result of the anguish of his soul. He will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will hear as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. So now we will commence the readings from the Gospels of the seven last words of Christ. And we will start with Luke chapter 23, starting with verse 33. And when they came to the place called the Skull, 
There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots or his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if this man is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. The second word. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving that which we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. I want to stop there. To me, this is one of the greatest statements of faith found in the scriptures. For you see, Jesus had been mocked, beaten, and crucified there on the cross with him. And yet, this man, because of who Jesus is and was, even during his time of crucifixion, he came to faith. It wasn't because there were good circumstances, because he was still hanging on a cross himself. It wasn't that Jesus got down off the cross. It was that he saw who Christ was. There are times when we come to Christ because of great blessings. But there are also those who come to Christ when it seems that it's impossible for God to do anything. And at this moment, God is doing great things. He is saving his people. Just as much as the Jews celebrated Passover, from being delivered out of the bondage of slavery. Jesus' death on the cross leads us out of the bondage of sin into freedom. He saw that not with a risen Savior, but with a crucified one. What an awesome statement of faith. And Jesus' response to that statement of faith was, Truly I say to you, today, you shall be with me in paradise.
the third statement of Jesus. Therefore, the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clophas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus then saw his mother and to the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own house. The fourth reading of the Word of God related to the Jesus' crucifixion. This comes from Mark chapter 15, starting with verse 33. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when the bystanders heard it, they began saying, behold, he is calling for Elijah. The fifth statement that Jesus made on the cross comes from John chapter 19, verses 28 and 29. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. And a jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put it on a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. The sixth reading comes from John, therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, "It is finished." He bowed his head and gave up his spirit.
And the final statement of Jesus. He said this. And it was about the sixth hour, and darkness fell on the whole earth until the ninth hour. And it became obscure, and the sun was obscured. And the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowd who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. And all of his acquaintances and the woman who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things. The second comment I'd like to make is notice during Jesus' crucifixion, the criminal came to faith because of the crucifixion, because of Jesus' life and how he projected God in those last few moments. And in his crucifixion, even the Roman centurion, the one official who was in charge of the crucifying authority, came to the realization that not only was Jesus innocent, but that he was the Son of God. And during this time, whether you recognize it as a few days before Good Friday or Good Friday. We need to be aware of just what Jesus did for you and for me, how by his stripes we were made whole and well, by God unleashing his scorn on him, that we were made blessed. And this is the time that we should look at not only who Jesus is, but what he did for you and me. And this should be a time of greater strengthening of faith or coming to faith. So I encourage you over the next few days to consider Jesus' death, to consider his crucifixion, to see that he came obedient to God. The night before he had prayed, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Jesus, the Son of God, God himself incarnate, who came from heaven, 
to make us children of God. We should never take this lightly. And there were those like the centurion who went and did their duty and crucified him. And there were those who came to see the spectacle, to see this event, and yet realized that when it was over, it was not him who should have been crucified, but us. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus' death on the cross made it possible for you and me to not only have life, but have it everlasting. So we're going to close this service with a prayer. And I hope that this is not the last prayer for you. Our Lord and our God, we are grateful that you love us that much. We are grateful that you're not just a God of love, but that you are God who is love. And that you love your people so much that you sent your son who was obedient and not only suffered on the cross, but suffered the shame and indignation of all of that that took place, to be placed on a cross, to hang from a tree and be considered unwantable. God, we recognize that Jesus was innocent and we are guilty. And yet, just as that criminal in his confession, Jesus, because of his love and his sacrifice, and our acceptance of that sacrifice, that when our time, life on earth has come to an end, we shall dwell in your house in paradise forever. Words cannot express our gratitude. All that we can do is surrender our life to you, that you may use it in a way that glorifies you, just as Jesus lived and died to glorify you. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen.